Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right, and welcome to Fast Break Breakfast. NBA podcast. My name is Keith here alone for a solo interview episode. The full episode with John and Chuck will be out next week, maybe earlier in the week than normal. We're having a lot of trouble. Uh, you know, we're supposed to release it every day or every week at the same times. I've read that in all the, you know, when you start a podcast, they send you a podcast manual it has all these tips in there. And it says release it every week at the same time. We've been having trouble. Uh, our lives are busy. Our lives are hectic uh, trying to fit these in all the time. But anyway, uh, maybe just, you know, subscribe. If you subscribe, it'll always be there. But uh, maybe earlier in the week. And obviously, they don't send you a podcast manual when, when you start doing this. But if you need more John and Chuck or even me, you can get that at patreon.com, which I hope you know by now. Patreon.com slash fast break breakfast. We're only uh, like $160 away from a next tier, which would mean we would produce an additional 20 minute episode that would just be for the Patreon people a month. So if you want to get even more content, even more of John and Chuck, we got to hit that next goal so if you want to support us there and get access to the exclusive bonus content the videos kind of the the funny diaries the power rankings get involved with the fantasy basketball over at fantrax.com uh i look like i'm probably going to win the fast break league or the breakfast league i can't remember uh and then john and matt are going head to head in the other fantasy league the ice shop championship going down between Patrick and Matt Sullivan. Uh, I'm impressed, guys. It was a successful first-ever International Stackhouse of Pancakes negative fantasy league for pride and glory. So if you want to get involved with all that, join up with some of the other hardcore listeners. You can do that at patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. As I'm recording right now, the news is broken. Very sad news. Uh, Joel Embiid, that facial contusion, did turn out to be something a little more... Uh, he gave it away, I think, on his, his Instagram uh, stories that was showing he was in the hospital saying, uh-oh. Uh, but he has an orbital fracture, has to have surgery. It does seem like the Sixers are cursed. Whatever Danny Ainge, that black magic he put into Markel Fultz's shoulder that kept him sidelined. Then that shoulder touched Embiid's head, and it broke his face. And now Embiid's got the curse in his orbital. Uh, it's some dark magic. It's not very happy. Uh, I feel really bad. Also, the Grizzlies won uh, against the Trailblazers last game, as John predicted. Uh, I can't get over the Grizzlies now. With something like nine of their wins are against West playoff teams, they have five wins against the top three seeds in the Western Conference. And I can't get over this stat. I don't feel like people are appropriately amazed. Or maybe I just don't understand why it's not that amazing. But right now, the Grizzlies... 15 and 10. 
15 and 10 when Ben McLemore does not play on the season, uh, and 6 and 49 when he does. That is some staggering numbers. I can't get over that. They're a 49 win team when Ben McLemore doesn't play, and a 9 win team when he does. Just incredible stuff. Anyway, uh, if you saw the picture of me and my little girl who I've been holding during most of the recent podcast, you saw probably I had a mustache. One part of that mustache is I've, I shaved off my beard and I did it with the Harry's Shave Kit. A lot of you guys have to shave all the time. I don't. I kind of shave willy-nilly whenever I feel like it. But if shaving is part of your routine, you might as well be treating yourself to, one, the best product, and two, the best price. And that's what Harry's Shave Kit will give you You're going to love their blades, and to prove that you will love their blades, they'll give you a free trial shave set when you sign up at harrys.com slash fastbreak. You just got to pay for shipping. That's a $13 value for free, and I'm telling you, inspiration to shave was this shave kit they sent me. It's so fancy. It makes me feel like a million bucks. makes me look like, well, you know, it it gets the job done. It shaves. But your free trial set includes a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip, a trimmer blade, you got the rich lathering shave gel, and the travel blade cover. For me, shaving is a novelty, so it's nice to have this uh, Harry Shave Kit to help me out. A lot of you guys have to shave all the time, and I'm telling you, you might as well be doing it with the Harry Shave Kit. So you can support our show, support yourself, transform your shaving experience. Harry's.com slash fast break right now. Once again, Harry's.com slash fast break. My guest today is a 10-time All-Star shooting guard and two-time champ, Ray Allen. Oh, wait. Uh, my guest today, actually, uh, what do you do? You cover the Lakers with your video breakdowns at uh, your YouTube channel, Laker Film Room, also with uh, forumblueandgold.com. Pete Zayas. Pete, is it you? I. That, that's me. Sadly, uh, Ray is a little busy. He's uh, had kind of a packed schedule, but I'm sure he'll make his way to fast break. I wasn't really yeah, sure, in the very you know, like, like these Skype handles, they could be anything. I thought Ray was going to call in, uh, you know, this, this, this handle, I hate Rondo could have gone either way. Right. And it turns that, out it's just a Laker fan to be fair. Yeah. That could be a lot of people, including a lot of Laker fans such as myself. So, right. yeah. Right. So, but, but Pete, no, I'm glad to talk to you. I don't want to do that retread Ray Allen. Like what, what is the story we haven't mentioned, but what is the story about you guys, you know, the, the former Celtics and Ubuntu and how's your book coming? I don't need to, we don't, we, we don't retread here. <laughs> We're going to make fun of the Lakers. <laughs> is that why I'm here? Has this been a trap? Is this been a, uh, it's not a, said, an ambush it's not for a me trap. I would say, uh, your foreign blue and gold buddy has been on a couple times. Darius Soriano. I don't think it was a trap. You know, he was always wide eyed optimist. You know, and I was like, you Did guys, he talk too much. I got a podcast with that dude, and that guy talks nonstop. So, oh, was, no, did you get any airtime on that one? Uh, you know what? When I have the interviewer on, most of the time I'm happy to let him just take over because I'm just the more they're talking, the less I have to pretend I watch the LA Lakers. So it works. The, the, the key, to, the key to interviewing Darius is to pay attention in the first ten seconds, and then in the last ten seconds, <laughs> and then you've got about two minutes in between where you're good to just kind of 
eyes can glaze over. You can, you know, take care of your kid, whatever you got to <laughs> handle. And, you know, you you pretty much got what he's got to say in the first 10 and the last 10. So, Well, I think every time I've talked to him, uh, I preface it and I preface listeners who, who might not be regular listeners of mine. I've hated the Lakers like my whole life. Like a Lake, like I'm a definitely a Laker hater, but I've been very confused this season because I like every one of the Lakers players just about. Like, uh, I'm really <laughs> enjoying the team. If I can separate them, divorce them from the feelings I've had my whole life towards the Lakers, towards the, the golden purple. Uh, but before we dive fully into the Lakers, it is our tradition to start with breakfast. <laughs> Pete, have you, have you had breakfast? Uh, any notable breakfast recently that you can tell me about? You know, there's a, I live in a part of LA and this is such an LA, LA thing that this may fuel your Laker. And I don't know if that extends to Los Angeles in general, but may fuel that hatred. Oh no, it's, it's not, it's not cultural. It is just the franchise. Okay, yeah, okay. Okay. It's just the laundry then. All right. Okay. I, I yeah. can respect that. Um, there are a lot of Oaxacan food places so like Mexican food from Oaxaca. There are probably four restaurants within you know, a mile and a half from my place. And so there's this joint called Casa Oaxaca where it's just good. It's grub, you know, it was, uh, you know, good black beans and rice and, you know, real hot sauce. That's like way too early in the morning with eggs and chorizo and all that good so stuff. Good. So that was probably my most notable one lately. I like, I don't necessarily like conventional breakfast, like eggs and, and bacon and all like I can, I, Every once in a while, it's all right, but I I, I like a, a little more spice in my morning meal. So I don't. I, I'm almost certain you don't know this, but you talking about this is incredibly on brand, on theme of our recent shows. We've been talking about beans, like black beans and hot salsa, as a breakfast food. It's it's come up very frequently recently, so it's exciting for you to. That's uh, good. You mentioned that. I, I'm, I'm glad I can you know add some continuity, and I I don't know. Keep, do you? This is something that's always bothered me, and I'm glad we're talking breakfast because I haven't had that opportunity before on a podcast. <laughs> but um, why do we assign foods to like certain times of day? That seems weird to me that there are like culture, like if you have eggs for dinner, unless you're having breakfast for dinner and being, you know, kind of cutesy about that, like that's weird, right? But having eggs for breakfast is, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like why, where along the line do you think we did that as people were, we kind of assigned eggs or a breakfast thing and you know what I mean? Like different meals for different times of the day. I don't, you know, I'm going to pretend I'm, th- I'm thinking hard about this answer. I got a couple, got a couple theories. Like one, it feels like, is this, it could it be a derivative of uh, some kind of consumer culture I mean, I know it predates like the Mad Men 50s era, but it seems like something they sold us. Like Hallmark invented, you know, Valentine's Day or something. Like the fact that it seems like something that was invented to us. Because, yeah, why can't we eat food whenever we want? I mean, could it be like maybe in our more agrarian days, we, you know, you went out to the chicken coop and collected up all the eggs and it's like, well, these bad boys are fresh. Yeah. You know, mama's just been sitting on them and might as well cook these up for breakfast. Maybe that has something to do with it. But I can get behind that whole kind of like invented, you know, holiday type thing. I don't know. Although I I have a, I have a good friend, uh, and, and listener of the show who points out if you have a sandwich for dinner, you, you made a mistake somewhere in your day. And I'm like, that's, that's fair. He's like, he's like, he's like sandwiches are for midday. Like you don't, like once the sun goes down, if you're eating a sandwich, you did something wrong. I'm like, all right. I, I but that's it. that's weird to me. Like I would totally rock a bowl of cinnamon toast crunch at you know five o'clock in the afternoon, early evening. Well, like, I mean, I mean, who among us hasn't? But I feel like that's something. Right. You, I do agree. It feels like that's something I, I've left behind. 
Like, you're not going to find me with a bowl of cereal, uh, you know, <laughs> in the PM. Not anymore. Like, I, I left that behind. But, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't – I feel like the breakfast for dinner gets a kind of a, a negative bad connotation or something. Even my co-host John always says, you know, like, it's like the, the, the dying breaths of a relationship is when you have breakfast for dinner. And I'm like, oh, I love a breakfast for dinner. Who doesn't want to – like, some French toast and some pancakes and, you know, some eggs? I love eggs every meal. I don't know. You ask good questions. Oh, thank you. I, I, I do this occasionally too. So, you know, it's there you go. Nice I like it when, uh, yeah. I will say my favorite <laughs> podcast guests ask a question. If I go the entire interview without them having asked me one thing, that's not normally my favorite, but that's a, any, if any p- potential guests are listening, just go ahead and line, line your questions up <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Hey, moving to the Los Angeles Lakers again, I, I already said, I really enjoy all these players. Uh, it's been kind of a wild season and, the players are, you know, every player is unique, sort of, but not really. The Lakers players feel like they're actually kind of their own archetype. So I want to break down some of that and, and some of the season. Coming into the year, I don't know what your expectations were, but but the season started kind of bad. It seemed like everyone was mad at Luke Walton and, like, Brooke Lopez got got really sad. And, and then, like, it switched and you guys started winning games. So, like, how do you, how do you view the season in totalities so far? Have there been just, like, do you break it up into segments or, or do you just look at, like, as a in the whole? Yeah, I mean, it's been a bit of a roller coaster. And, yeah, at the beginning of the season, Luke Walton very much focused on the defensive end. And then there was kind of some weirdness around Julius Randle, who he started, like, the first several games of the preseason and had been a starter throughout his career until like two games before the re- the end of the preseason. They're like, oh, actually, we're going to start Larry Nance. And this was amidst Randall playing easily the best basketball of his career over the course. And he got himself in great shape over the course of the summer, was playing great in the preseason, was tearing up training camp by all reports and um, just suddenly got benched and then was having nights where he was playing eight minutes one night and 15 minutes another night and playing well regardless. Like he's, you know, putting up 10 and eight and defending well in like, you know, 13 minute game, you know? And, um, so that was definitely a frustration that I had with Luke and I know a lot of fans did. And then, you know, just like every other fan base, we complain about his rotations and he doesn't stagger lineups well enough, but just as is true with the players, Luke Walton is also a young coach, right? And you can kind of in some way view him of, as a part of the Lakers young core and he's definitely gotten better. He's had a very good 2018, uh, not just as a result of the, um, of the, not just a function of the results, but because he's actually changed the way he's done some of his things. So in totality, it's been a roller coaster, but the Lakers lead the league in pace. They have played really hard. Like there are very few nights where you watch them and they're like, ah, they, they just didn't try. They didn't bring the effort. You know, they're young and they're dumb and they're all over the place, but they've got these kind of unique skill set guys and like, like Randall and Lonzo's a very unusual player, Brandon Ingram. So it's been fun in that respect. Like I've enjoyed this season more than I thought I was going to. I thought this was about a 31 to 34 win team. That was depending on when you asked me before the season, that's what I would have said. And there are 33 wins right now. So they'll probably finish in the, you know, mid thirties, 35, 36. I like, I like, I like you're like, you know, I predicted a 31 to 34, but we're, uh, we're looking at maybe a 33 to 36. Like it's a no, no. <laughs> well, I think I think they're gonna out, they outperform my expectations yeah. for sure. Maybe not by a ton, but but they have, and they've been they've been injured enough to where like I think that was a that's a pretty solid accomplishment considering Lonzo's missed big stretches, Ingram's missed big stretches, you know. So and and then they've had trades and 
and, and all that. So I, all in all, as a Laker fan, I'm, I'm very happy with the season. Do you think the them turning around and then them kind of bouncing back from that bad first half, was it a result any way of the decisions Luke Walton made that he was getting criticized for? Or was it just a matter of, of them getting healthy and playing different? But because I can, I can frame it in like a weird disciplinarian coach highlights. He's like, yeah, he taught him discipline. They went through the hard times, <laughs> and now that's why he didn't play Julius Randle. He made him hungry. And then there's the other yeah. part of me where I'm like, that's all crap. Julius Randle clearly should have been playing and starting. So where do you fall on that spectrum? Yeah, no, I, I'm more toward I, I, I mean, coaches make a difference in the NBA, no doubt, but I don't think that it's to that degree. And I, I certainly, Randall is a guy that had been playing well, just wasn't getting minutes. And then when he got more minutes, he continued to play well, just in more minutes. Um, I, I do think that probably the biggest difference is Brandon Ingram took a pretty significant midseason leap forward. He was kind of touted as the Lakers leading scorer, Magic Johnson, who is certainly prone to hyperbole, but Magic made comments in the preseason that, you know, if he doesn't average 20 points per game, it's going to be a disappointment. And it's like, that, that was always unrealistic. And Ingram just a year ago was a, a baby deer where, you know, on, on, on my show, we were celebrating the fact that now he can jump fluidly off of one foot instead of having to jump off of two. And so making that leap from those like very simple things all the way to a 20 point per game score was unrealistic. And I think at the beginning of the year, he was putting up good counting numbers in a lot of minutes, but he was really inefficient. Uh, he was getting back cut on the defensive end a couple times per game. Um, I, at some point, about about halfway through the season, he made a, a, a pretty significant leap into this kind of Swiss Army knife type of player that was able to operate on the ball and off of the ball, uh, be effective on the glass, be effective on the defensive end. I, I think that him and the, along with Randall getting more minutes. I think those were probably the two most significant developments along with Lonzo improving a bit. Yeah. You mentioned the counting stats and that's, that's guys, that's my biggest question. I think about not Ingram as such, but, but about Julius Randall, uh, he puts up these incredibly incredible numbers. Um, but he's kind of a bull in the China shop. It's, it's actually a bit hilarious to watch him as someone not emotionally invested in the team. Just being like, whenever he gets it, knowing like he's definitely going to shoot, and, you know, the defender, you're like, dummy, he's left-handed. Like, you knew he was going to shoot a left-handed layup. Like, what in the world are you doing? But he's still so effective. So, I guess the question is, how much of it is counting stats? How much of it is he a legit, maybe he could be an all-star, he could be a foundational piece? Or is he always going to be kind of an enigmatic, maybe best as a sixth man or something like that? He's somebody, if you'd asked me this question a year ago, I, I was much more down on Julius than even a lot of people in the Lakers sphere. And over this year, I've probably, I've turned into one of his biggest cheerleaders in part. So in terms of his scoring ability, he is really mastered the ability to, he has basically one move and a counter move to that. And if you can get really good at that in some respects, if you can get yourself in that position to get to those spots on the floor, that's all you need. If you can be really good at that move and that counter move, He's a really good ball handler for a guy with his size and speed. So teams, you know, he's not a good shooter and teams will sag off of him. And he's gotten really good at utilizing. So, and, and as you properly pointed out, he pretty much only uses his left hand and we'll go back to that. But what he's started to do is he's gotten really good at initiating contact with his left shoulder. So he will he will actually drive to his right to set up the drop step 
to go back to his left. So he'll initiate contact without it being an offensive foul, although sometimes he does, and will create separation with that and then hit a guy with a drop step. And if if they don't overplay him to send him to his right, then he will just take advantage and initiate that contact with his right shoulder and hit a little jump hook you know, with his left hand. He's finishing at about 75% around the basket, which is one of the better marks in the league. He's you know, one of the for as much as he shoots, he's one of the more efficient guys in the league now, which was not the case in the past. So he's actually a fairly high volume scorer at a fairly efficient rate. And he has some passing ability that he doesn't always use, but he's a really unique player that has gone from being kind of that enigmatic guy that you were talking about to, I I think he's very possibly could be an all-star in the next couple of years. So you have no qualms about him being like a foundational, like a starting piece. Is it a st- starting at four or like a weird undersized five? No, not at all. I think I think you need to have a guy next to him, whether he's at the four or the five. The other guy has to be able to shoot. And I think Brooke Lopez has probably been an underrated part of the Lakers modicum of success. This has been successful, at least in the last five years for the Lakers um, in Lopez's ability to, you know, operate on the perimeter when he's playing alongside Randall or operate down on the block when he's playing alongside Kuzma. Uh, I, I think you need to have the right guy next to Randall. I don't think an, a DeAndre Jordan would be a particularly good fit, but uh, if you can get that piece next to him, I do, I do feel very comfortable with him going forward. And so the, the big name coming into the year, Lonzo Ball being the top draft pick, and he's another guy who uh, you know can't really shoot, which makes it awkward, uh, the fit with him and Randall both being on the court. But Lonzo Ball has been, uh, again, he's the one who I love. Like, throw out all the outside noise, all the reality TV stuff. When I watch him play basketball, I'm like, there's something about it. Like, I love the his defensive ability, the way he just gets blocked shots. And, and I, I guess I love like rebounding guards or point guards. Like I always loved Jason Kidd. Uh, but you know, obviously he, he started so slowly shooting and then it seemed like he hit his stride and now he's kind of regressed again. So I, I guess the take is how are Lakers fans feeling? You guys seem to be incredibly optimistic about this team, this core right now, but how are you feeling specifically about Lonzo ball and him reaching maybe a higher level, like to get to like a low level Jason Kidd or even get to like an all-star or is he just going to be like maybe an average NBA point guard? You know, I I think that's going to depend on his scoring ability. I mean, in a nutshell, Lonzo is an absolutely terrible scorer and really good at everything else. He's such a, a player of extremes where in with a lot of even young players, if you look at the other kind of young guards around the league, and I, I know you're a Memphis guy, I think of Mike Conley's rookie year even, where you kind of see flashes of what they're they're going to be decent at. Um, they could be terrible at a couple of, of things. They're rarely like really, really good at anything early on. And Lonzo's a really good rebounder, as you pointed out. He's really good on the defensive end, really disruptive. Um, and he's a really good passer, in, especially in transition. And you know, that to me, it depends on, you know, how you look at basketball is can you stomach a guy being an absolutely terrible scorer and can you talk yourself into, well, maybe he won't always be an absolutely terrible scorer and focus on the other things that he does well, at, which are significant building blocks. The thing I always talk about with Lonzo is he had a really unusual basketball ball upbringing you know when other guys were running high ball screens early on when their team needed a bucket Lonzo wasn't doing that whether it was in AAU at Chino Hills or at UCLA and so 
I made a video recently about how defense have adjust, defenses have adjusted. He hit uh, six threes against the San Antonio Spurs in a comeback win. And after that, team stopped as as frequently. Team stopped going under ball screens on him and going into a drop coverage where the defensive guard goes over the screen and then the big hangs back. And what's open on that is either the pick and pop big or the pull up jumper for the the guard, which Lonzo is notor- notoriously poor at. Well, Lonzo doesn't even know how to make those reads. So there'd be times where he'd overpenetrate in the paint and get a turnover or get a shot blocked, or he would pass it up to a guy who wasn't open and it wouldn't be a turnover, but the play would be stagnated. So for me with Lonzo, he's got these wonderful building blocks. He's got a great feel for the game. He doesn't necessarily understand the game, which is a little different than the feel for the game. And he's got a ton of skill work to do. Even little things like can he jump stop and and slow himself down for a pull-up jumper, that's been a challenge for him. So the glass half-empty version is, well, crap, he's in the NBA. How is he going to learn all of this You know, at, at this level? But it's also – these are fairly simple things that I don't think more than a summer – in most respects, will turn him. I think next year you'll see him as a below-average scorer, which would be a massive upgrade from mm-hmm. what he is right now. And going forward, if you can put that on top, if he can just become an average NBA scorer, stack that on top of everything else he does. You got a hell of a player. Yeah, I said this on my last show. It, it was a provocative joke, but honestly, uh, I meant it is 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 affection when I think of it. He reminds me of like a supercharged. Nick Calathus. And uh, that is offensive to most people. I loved Nick Calathus. But man, that guy was garbage on offense. And he was super slow. I'm like, Lonzo Ball is like Nick Calathus with gifts. It's wonderful. I mean, maybe he will become better than that. But uh, that's my... Uh, I just look, look up that basketball reference. Look at those uh, per 36 numbers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I have vague recollection. He was a Kansas guy, right? Uh, Clayton's played at Florida. He played at Florida, Florida? and then he played. He played only so. like one year on the Grizzlies, one and a half years on the Grizzlies. He, I, I was right. in Memphis at a game uh, where he was just booed. The home crowd was booing him. They were mad at him because they didn't think he was very good because he's wow. just a balding white guy who was really slow. Man, a guy's got <laughs> feel. He's dominating all these Euro basket games in the the, the Euro leagues, but uh. Supercharged Nick Calathus. That's my Lonzo Ball, who, again, Lonzo Ball might be my favorite Laker since, uh, since Nick Van Exel. I guess the other part of the young core we haven't really mentioned is Kyle Kuzma. Uh, the, the early part of the season was that Kuzmania, and then in my mind, like, it dropped off, but then I was looking, like, his post-All-Star numbers are better than, like, his pre-All-Star numbers. Uh, but um, so, so what's, what's Kyle Kuzma? I know he's been playing three some now, and it seems like he's a four. D- does he fit alongside, like, an Ingram and Randall lineup? Just g- give me your whole excitement of Kyle Kuzma and what he projects out to be. So, yeah, it, it's funny because Kuzma was kind of the exact opposite of Lonzo and that he was a guy who was getting buckets and getting them, you know, uh, getting them frequently early on in the year and providing very little else on the court. And if you, you know, I, I, I watch a ton of Laker tape and I make videos about the Lakers and whatnot. And he was a guy like, look, I'm never going to be down on a guy that's the 27th pick that was able to do what Kuzma was able to do early in the game or early in the season. But when you'd watch him on tape, he was awful on the defensive end. He was getting beat on, you know, guys were getting offensive rebounds on him. He was missing, uh, you know, passing reads and, and, and things like that. He was, he was filling up the, the scoreboard as an individual score, but definitely not a net positive in terms of his impact on the game. Then he went through a stretch where he couldn't shoot either. And he was just bad. Uh, 
starting at the beginning of March or so, he started to make an impact on the defensive end. He's he can be impactful defensively in a way that's similar to the offensive end offensive end is that he's a bigger guy but he's kind of light on his feet he can switch on to guys he uh when he moved to the three with ingram's injury he's done a pretty good job at, at uh you know navigating off ball screens things like that what he does and this is to a lesser extent than ingram and randall but he provides a certain degree of versatility that that's probably the lakers greatest strength amongst the young core is you've got all these guys who can handle the ball really well for their size and he kind of fits within that and he's the best shooter of the bunch by far so he's i think in a lot of ways going to be a necessary piece where if you can live with a julius randall not being a shooter and with lonzo being inconsistent and ingram's improved in that respect but he's a really low volume three-point shooter you gotta amongst one of them you gotta have one guy that's gonna let it fly and if you let him open he's gonna you know take 10 shots per game and and live with the results on that so yeah i think kuzma's a keeper so of those four guys kuzma randall ingram and ball who would you bet on to make an all-star game first uh, i'd say lonzo i i think that um i mean and now part of that is probably he's the most <laughs> you know when i make a video if Lonzo Ball is in the title. It's going to do twice as many views as it's going to do if it's about anybody or anything else Lakers related. So part of that's popularity. If you're halfway decent and a Laker, you're going to get. I was, I was going to say, yeah. If, if we throw out the fan vote, that that is a very very salient yeah, okay, point you make. <laughs> if the coaches yeah, are picking, um, which one uh, which one might be an All Star first? Ah. Uh, I would still say Lonzo. I, so I, I cover the team. I'm credentialed to go to the games and go to practices and all of that. And I know for a fact that the the coaches and the people around the team, like they really love what Lonzo brings to the table. And they know he's not a good shooter and all of that. But when they say to the media, you know, that they really like him, that is also the behind the scenes scuttlebutt. Um, he's a really and, – and the advanced analytics, you know, the analytics love him in terms of his on-court impact and all of those things. I, I I think that Lonzo's a guy, probably more than any of the other Lakers, that you really have to watch to appreciate. Um, I, 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 next, I would probably say Ingram, with Randall being third. Uh, I'd be surprised if uh, I don't know. I think Kuzma can make an All Star game, but I think he probably has to have uh, you know more well rounded game to him. But yeah, I, I'd probably say Lonzo just a, a tick ahead of Ingram. So what's next with this Lakers core? Obviously, they have KCP expiring contract, Brooke Lopez expiring contract. All the talk, like the first half of the season, was just dumping Julius Randle, but now he seems to have at least, I don't know, earned his keep. And at least in Lakers fans' minds, they're all excited about him being a part of the future. So so what's next? Is it it's just bringing in free agents and trying to build around those four guys? You know, I think that... So the swing for the fences version, you know, pie in the sky, Laker fans, do th we do this every year, is LeBron and Paul George, right? Those are the two guys they have circled on. The Lakers have by far the most cap space in the league and you have a little bit of maneuverability to create a little bit more if necessary. Um, and so that's, you know, that's option number one. And the only route to being able to keep Julius Randle, if that happens, is they'd have to be able to trade Dang without giving up without getting sal much salary in return, which would mean attaching probably multiple first-round picks to be able to make that happen. I, I talked to Eric Pincus a lot about this a lot. Uh, he doesn't think it would take more than one, but I think it would probably take two firsts to be able to, to execute that. But outside of that, I, I think that the Lakers really have to 
capitalize on the cap space that they have either this summer or the next. Because after that, guys like Ingram start to come up for extensions. And if they keep Randall around, Randall's obviously going to be extended for this year. I think with the exception of the pie in the sky to max scenario, I think Julius Randle is going to be back. I think he's earned his keep and I think he's proven shown what, that he is a, a guy that, that is part of what they want to do going forward. If, if not, I expect them to try and kind of punt cap space on guys that would take a one year deal similar to what KCP did. Although I think KCP is probably going to get a multi-year contract offer from someone, although there's not a ton of cap space. Um, But even, I mean, they've been talking recently about bringing Isaiah Thomas back and that might not be because he's the number one guy on their board, but if anybody needs a one year deal to prove that they are what they once were, especially after he had this hip surgery, it's a guy like Isaiah Thomas. So Ultimately, I think that if they don't get hit their home run scenario, I think that the Lakers are going to kind of try and get guys on one-year deals to try and do that again next summer. So you don't th- do you think they would consider trying to get this same team back where you give maybe KCP half of what he's making, Lopez a smaller deal, with those guys thinking they've already earned a good, you know, a good bit of salary this year, and then maybe signing one guy? Like maybe if you, if you could get this team back and then just Paul George, do you think they would commit money to that? That's a great question. So uh, how many years uh, under this hypothetical, how many years are we saying for like Lopez and KCP? I wouldn't even know. I would say like, like if you told Lopez, Hey, like two year, 20 million, uh, you, you can even do like a player option, you know, like, like a two year, like player option, let him go. And then KCP, maybe you're saying, Hey, we'll give you full, you know, like something along the lines of the, f- the full MLE, like a three year 27 or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, um, somewhere sure, in sure. there. Like if you guys thought KCP is good enough to keep around. I don't think they'd do that because as bullish as I am on the Lakers young core, I have a hard time envisioning that team being anywhere close to a championship contender mm-hmm. in the next three, four years. You know what I mean? Like that's a good team. And especially as the young guys get older, that that's a good squad. But I think the Lakers are very much trying to set up for, you know, the Kawhi Leonard type of guy. And that's a whole weird situation in San Antonio, you know, or, or LeBron this summer. I think those are the guys that, you know, come hell or high water, they're going to try to get. Now we'll see if they can actually pull that off. But, um, I, I would be surprised if they locked themselves in to a roster like that, where the ceiling of them, it's hard to imagine them being a champion. You guys could get a Kawhi, Isaiah Thomas, all sitting in street clothes with, uh, Deng. They could all be sitting on the end, at the end of your bench there. It's looking good. All right, a couple, a couple more questions uh, to wrap up. I asked um, a friend of my show, uh, Damon Rangula, you know, crazy Lakers fan. Oh, and, yeah, that's and, my guy. Absolutely, yeah. 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 And Anthony Irwin. Uh, I asked them on Twitter if the Lakers owned their draft pick this year. And at, do you think it would have gone differently after they started 11 and 27? I, in my mind... They would have let go of the rope or done stuff a little bit differently, and they would have had a much worse record. They were both saying, like, no, 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 this team is talented and growing, and they would have keep winning. So what do you think would have happened if the Lakers were in possession of their pick after they started 11-27? I agree with them, and it's because Palenka and Magic came in with kind of a, there's a new sheriff in town, things aren't going to be the way they were. I don't see them trying to tank. I also think that with the free agent aspirations that they have and and have really been <laughs> a little too forthright about communicating from very early on, I think there's it's it's a more appealing pitch to free agents to be like 
to, to come into this summer with, hey, look at the way the Lakers played in the second half of the season. They're an over 500 team, and we didn't even have you. you know. And, and I think that had they had their pick, and that's the difference between, you know say, the fifth pick in the draft and the 10th pick in the draft, I just don't see from any – that's even from – hearing magic talk and, and, and whether it's on camera or, or off in the tunnel, you know, he's talking about this team continuing to grow, talking about guys like Thomas Bryant, who's been in the G league all year that they really like is kind of a stretch five option. I just don't think that that was the mandate that they took the job with was to continue to tank. I, I think Jim Buss and Mitch Kupchak being fired was very much a, this crap is over. We're, we're the Lakers and all that Lakers exceptionalism that everybody else around the league loves, right? I think that that was very much an exertion of that, of that, that this was not, this this is no longer acceptable to do this, even if you can very much make an argument that that would have been the wise thing to do. Yeah. One thing I find adorable in these Lakers fans, because I follow, I think, a, I follow a ton of Lakers fans on, on Twitter. Uh, as much as I love the young core, I, I think it's adorable, the like starry-eyed belief you guys have in Palinka and Johnson. I'm not. I'm not buying it. I think they're. I think they're vapid hucksters. They're just. Uh, they're, they're. 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 They're getting away with some stuff. They're just preaching stuff. I, I'm. A, I'm a cynic as far as the uh, the front office goes. I, I can understand. I was very much that when they got hired, um, and I did not. I did not like the the tr- the Russell and trade. You right. know, to shed the Mozgov salary. Um, I think that. They've done what they said that they were going to set out to do. Mm-hmm. Rob Palenka on the first on media day, he was the first person to talk to any of us, and he said, "You know, this team's going to play hard every night. They're going to compete, and you're going to see them grow throughout the season." And they've done that. Now, those are platitudes to some extent, but your concerns—I I would not use that language in part because I'm credentialed by the Lakers. Oh, well, and sure, I would not, sure, I would. Yeah. You know, go around, <laughs> but but that like you know all all hat no cattle type of you know think that was very much a concern where they were both rookies palinka came from the agent world uh you know magic we all know magic's background and all that but neither of them had any experience doing what they're doing and we've seen so many big names go from like a phil jackson right or an isaiah thomas go from being one of the best to ever do it in one aspect of basketball to thinking that that translates to the executive roles when it doesn't magic and palinka have done a lot to win me over over this past year. And, I mean, and think about the draft that the Lakers had. You, we put Lonzo to the side. Everybody's got their opinions on them. But they got Kyle Kuzma at number 27. They got Josh Hart, who's going to be yeah. going to have a 10, 12-year career at 30. And most of fans around the league don't, don't know Thomas Bryant, but the Lakers are really high on him. And they just wanted him to get minutes in the G League. And they really like him. They, they crushed this draft. They did a great job in this draft. And then I thought they did a nice job at the trade deadline of moving, of shedding salary to get themselves to the point of even if they don't sign those guys, you know, you were talking about we were talking about the free agent plans. If other teams with cap space being so limited around the league, if other teams need to like shed salary, the Lakers are one of those teams that'll be able to absorb that and be like, hey, give us a first round pick in exchange for our, our troubles. So they've positioned themselves well to execute what they want to execute. And even if they don't hit that home run, they can go a few different paths. So I totally had that same concern about them, but they've they've calmed a lot of those concerns for me. Yeah. And I have to, I have to concede. They, they pulled a heist at the trade deadline. That, that was a great trade for the, for the Lakers. And, and I guess getting, getting, getting Josh Hart, who I always think is Josh Hart in it when I first see his name written, uh, getting Josh Hart and, <laughs> and Kyle Kuzma was a good win. Okay. Last thing before you get out of here, not Lakers related. Uh, you had a bit of a public Twitter feud 
with <laughs> with Nate Duncan. We've been making jokes on our show for a while, and I am not I am not confrontational on Twitter. Like I just like I'm I'm more of I will I won't even get in an argument. But we've been joking for a while about starting a uh, a feud between me and Danny Larue. So I don't know if you had any tips for me on on a good way to start a, a Danny Larue rivalry. Well, see, I I don't know if. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm probably the guy to ask on how to start unintentional feuds with people on uh, Twitter. That's fair. Because that certainly... <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's more of a natural talent that I have, really, than, you know, it's one of those uh-huh. when you ask a great player to become a coach, and then he's like, you know, be like I was. You know, it's, it, <laughs> and I'm more gifted at... No, no. Honestly, that whole thing was not anywhere near what I intended it becoming. Um, and uh, to be honest, Keith, I'm getting used to the whole idea of like people actually giving a crap of what I have to say about anything. Like I've been posting on basketball message boards for 15 years now. Right. And I right, can yeah, talk yeah. my crap, you know what I mean? And like with, with impunity and no one really cares. And now it's like, did you hear what Laker film room said about this? I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> but, but as far as the Rue goes, I'd say you got to go in, and I don't know if that's Nate's place or if that's Danny's place, but you got to go in on 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 the on the couch or the the internal decor. It's kind of drab in there, right? Like that brown leather couch. Yeah, yeah, that, the, <laughs> that almost feels like bullying. Like like, like I, I often want to comment underneath like their their NBA Twitter show about like just yeah like like the apartment. Like is this like is that kind of depressing? Is yeah, that Russ yeah. Cole's apartment from True Detective? Like what you know, uh, <laughs> landlord doesn't let you hang ban anyway. But that that, that I don't know. I I got I got to find a better way. I think the way might be is to actually become a Patreon supporter and then become like a mole on the inside that is just like they hate dealing with. Like this guy, what in the world? All the awful questions. But they have to put up with you because you're a, a supporter of the. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that might be the way to do it. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping this podcast is not one of those unintentional things that I regret. The ending of this. Let's hope. Let's hope hey, no one makes uh, it. You know, I've, I've never. I, I actually have stated. I hope someone gets fined. A la Mark Cuban on my show. I don't think you've done anything to warrant a, a suspension or a fine, but uh, maybe we can uh, at least get you in in more hot water with someone. Anyway, Pete, thanks so much. Uh, really enjoyed having you on. Uh, plug your stuff one more time for people. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and on YouTube uh, at Laker Film Room, and I contribute at Form Blue and Gold with my man Darius Soriano. Him and I have the Laker Film Room podcast together, which we release about once every week, once every other week. And uh, uh, yeah, that, that's all my stuff. So thank you for listening, everyone. Yeah, that's great. Uh, all hat, no cattle. I got to add that to my repertoire. I like that. Anyway, <laughs> thanks, Pete. Thanks for having me on, Keith. All right, thanks to Pete. Uh, really fun talking with him. Go to uh, Lakers Film Room, uh, youtube.com slash Lakers Film Room. And uh, even if you're not a Lakers fan, you will learn about basketball and you support Pete by watching his videos. It'll make you make you a smarter fan and make you appreciate the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm telling you, Nick Calathis reborn into a good player, Lonzo Ball. Love how he plays, even if he can't get to the line. And even when he does get to the line, he can't hit anything. Brutal. Anyway, support our show, patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. Let's kick us up to that next goal, and we'll start producing some more content when we hit that. And also you get access to bonus content. Once you sign up there, patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. Get your, get your free Harry's Shave Kit at harrys.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. You can like us on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at Fast Break Break. You guys are the best. Thanks for listening. And remember, breakfast is the most important thing. Yeah.
I never apologize for being GNG. Fair break, break, man. You understand? Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.